0: Well, we are 130 episodes in, which is fun. And one of the things I love doing is bringing back guests that really made a contribution. And Scott Sauls is one of them. He was with us for you longtime listeners back on episode 49 for the first time. And today we are going to talk about how to actually make friendships with our people who are different than you in a pretty polarized culture. I think one thing that's changed in the last almost 100 episodes is our culture has probably gotten more polarized, not more unified. And How do you even bring the gospel about in a context like that and not become part of the problem? And Scott is one of the leading voices on that in my view. And honestly, I think one of the needed voices. So I think you're gonna love this today. I think it's probably gonna challenge you, but hopefully it's gonna challenge you in a good way. And here's another reality. I know some of you, honestly, you feel pretty isolated and uh, relationships are breaking down. And how do you actually build authentic relationships in the age we live in? Scott's and, and I have a fantastic conversation about that. So that's coming up today. I also wanted to say thanks to all of you who are reaching out. Hey, uh, for all of you leaving uh, ratings and reviews, like Lisa Meredith, you just left one on iTunes. I saw it this morning as I went to record this episode. Thank you for doing that. You know, it was short, it was sweet, but that helps get the word out. And I love hearing from you guys. I got a message recently from a listener in London, England, London, the United Kingdom, Andrew Morsley. Uh, Thanks so much, Andrew, for your note. Um, Listen, this is a guy who is trying to balance a young family. He's got two young kids under the age of five. He's got a full time job in the business world in London, and uh, took on lay leadership at his local church. And he's trying to balance it all. He found the podcast a couple months ago. Has completely listened to the back episodes, the archive, which is amazing. And Andrew, I I just want to say thanks so much for doing what you're doing. And you know what? I don't know all of you, but I know that there are just thousands of stories each week, like Andrew's, like Lisa's. So I just want to say, Thank you so much for being so kind, being so encouraging, and if this podcast has helped you for sharing the word. Hey, a couple of things I want to let you know about. First of all, um, tickets are still available. There's still a few for the Rethink Leadership event happening at the end of April next month in Atlanta. I'm going to get together with Bob Goff, with John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, Judd Wellheit, Les McEwen, so many more. You can get all the details at RethinkLeadership.com, and if you are a senior leader and a executive pastor, or campus pastor, you're invited. And we're just going to talk leadership for two days. Plus, your ticket buys you admission to the Orange Conference. So if you have team members going to the Orange Conference, well, you as a senior leader head on over to Rethink Leadership. It's going to be amazing. And if you haven't registered, there's still a little bit of time left to do that. Also, for all of you who are thinking about how to mobilize your team better, have you ever thought about training your team virtually? I mean, you know, forever, we've tried to get people together on the weekend or a Tuesday night or whatever. You try to train your team. But you know how that goes, right? People can't make it or something comes up or you get half your team there. How do you actually mobilize your entire team? Well, trained up, has done a great job of actually providing the vehicle. You provide the content, they provide the vehicle for you to basically reach out to your entire team virtually online and train them online. And you're thinking, well, we're a small church, we don't have the budget. No, no, no. You know what, this is the cool thing. You don't have to like have your own department. You can just use someone like Trained Up. And if you haven't checked out TrainedUp.org yet, I would encourage you to do that today. They're a partner of this podcast and I believe in them, and I think it's a great opportunity for you to actually become a lot more effective at what you do. So make sure you go and check them out at trainedup.org. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up on the podcast in the next little while. If you want to access any of what we talk about today, just go to the show notes, carrynewhoff.com slash episode 130. And now my conversation with Scott Sauls. Well, Scott, welcome back to the podcast, man. I'm really, really thrilled to have you.
1: So good to be with you again, Carrie.
0: Thanks. Hey, Scott, I mean, I've been poking around in your new book, your latest book, Befriend, and you're getting a little bit of a a track record not just as a preacher, but as an author and as somebody I've gotten to know. You strike me as a a pretty well-read, like almost what I would call deep thinker. Uh, I've always, you know, really appreciated people who take the time to think through issues and not just in sound bites or like bullet points on their blog i know I know people who do a lot of bullet points on their blog. ha 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 anyway, a uh-huh. rare breed, I think in in the church world today, I want to ask you i want to start with a question I really haven't asked enough. What are the habits and routines you embrace uh as as a pastor, as a writer, as a human being as a as a thinker to help you cultivate a more open mind and and really cull from the deeper veins. Of the Christian truth from which you draw, because I think that's really a strength of your writing. And I got to let you know, I I completely appreciate about that about you. And it's sort of the opposite trend that you see our culture moving in, which seems to be toward more sound bites, more opinion, more divisiveness, more half thought through ideas, and not well, that deep vein of thinking from which you know it seems to me that you draw. So, what are, what are the habits and routines that? that sort of have led you to this place in your life.
1: Well, gosh, I appreciate that. Carrie. you know, I I mean, I've been around a lot of uh, you know, really thoughtful people and I, I I don't necessarily, you know, look at myself as as one of them, so it it it's uh uh it's really humbling to hear you, you know, say that. Well, and those to give you context, words, but, I mean,
0: Anne Voskamp. camp wrote the foreword and, and a very glowing foreword. And then you worked for five years in New York City with Tim Keller. Tim's endorsed the book, but you've also, you've ministered together. You've done that. And I mean, like, like Keller, I mean, I don't know that you, ha- you read more than three or four paragraphs before you're quoting somebody and it's not, you know, mm-hmm. something you read in, in mm-hmm. sports illustrated two days ago or, or whatever. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's a deeper well you draw from. Yeah. That.
1: Well, thank you for that. I mean, I, I, I think I I owe a lot really of my own sort of thought life and thought development to Tim's influence uh mm-hmm. on me. I you know I I I try to read as much C.S. Lewis as I can and um you know I listen to a lot of 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 preaching from other people just to to see what I can learn and derive from that. Um you know I'm I'm a pretty voracious, you know, reader of like articles and periodicals and such that are, you know, from you know sources like the New York Times and uh, you know other sort of popular well read you know sort of you know widely read sources, just mm-hmm. because you know as you know carrie it's 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 important to um you know be able to exegete and interpret the Bible. It's equally important, especially as a pastor and a writer and a communicator to properly interpret the culture and understand what's going on in the world around you so that that those sort of timeless truths can be translated into um, you know, messaging and voices that, 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 that connect with the culture around us. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I read a lot of, you know, kind of the old dead smart people. Um, (laughs) but, but, but also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by, um, you know, people like, you know, Jamie Smith, uh, you know, James K Smith and, and, and his writing, I find him to be very thoughtful, um benefit a lot from, you know, the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What, what a lot of people don't give him credit for is he's an amazing, um, you know, amazing rhetoric person with, with just incredible, you know, thought content in his essays and in his sermons. And so I learn a lot from Dr. King. I try to be kind of all over the map. Um, but uh, leadership, the leadership space is where people like you come in, Carrie, really, and I, I benefit so much from from your work and your thoughtfulness, uh, in that space. Um, you know, Andy Stanley, your friend Andy Stanley has written a lot of great stuff on leadership. I love his podcast, uh, as well benefit from his, his work as well as yours, uh, in the leadership space. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place.
0: Well, it's an, it's an eclectic mix, which makes it fun. So I think what a lot of leaders would say is, yeah, I would love to sit down and read C.S. Lewis all day, or, you know, I'd love to read widely, you know, if you're reading from the Atlantic Monthly or the New Yorker or the New York Times, you know, all those uh, East Coast <laughs> publications, right, yeah. that tend to have, have, have the longer thread of argument maybe than a lot of popul- um, publications mm-hmm. today. How do you work that? Because, I mean, you also lead a church, right, and not a small church. You lead a fairly uh, large church. You ventured into multi-site. And, uh, and it's growing and I'm sure you've got a lot of demands on your time, including being a married man and a family man. So how do you work that into like practically what are the rhythms or or routines that, that have helped Mm. you keep that habit up?
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess that, uh, sort of boils down to the way that I order my day and the way that I order my week, um. Can so, we go there? Go ahead and and yeah, like get, sure, get gritty. Sure. Get
0: get gritty. I, I want to just find out the the routines you follow.
1: Well, I'm up in the morning probably before most of the world. Sometimes I'll 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 wake up at four. You know, usually around five five thirty. I'll be out of bed, and and so that gives me a solid hour hour and a half before the rest of the world starts. And yep. And I feel like it's really important to start every day. Um, you know, with unproductive unhurried. You know, time in Scripture. Uh, I mean, I feel like uh, I I don't want to fake a love for God in my public ministry. Uh, I want it to be real. I I think it's important that that whatever I sort of give out, you know, publicly, you know, be a product of what God's doing in my own life and heart. And so, so I've got a pretty consistent uh, and I would say robust devotional and prayer life. But but I'll usually, you know, also add to that, you know you know, reading of periodicals and articles and books, you know, you mentioned people like Anne and people like Jamie Smith and Keller and C.S. Lewis. Uh, Eugene Peterson is also very influential and, and, you know, a lot of others, you know. Okay, can can we back up?
0: That's really helpful. First of all, you and I get up around the same time. This morning for me, it was like 4.45. I was out of bed and the yeah, and that's was...
1: not because we're spiritual people, that's because we're mourning people. That's because we're
0: mourning people. It's also because sure. I'm older, I think. I couldn't have done that <laughs> yeah. when I was in my twenties. Sure. All right. So we're getting we're getting up early. Um, but what does you say a robust devotional life? That eludes a lot of pastors. And I gotta be honest with you, probably honestly that that hardest time of the day for me is to really try to have a meaningful connection with God. And that is a daily discipline for me. So what does that look like for you, Scott?
1: Well, I, I benefit greatly from things like the Book of Common Prayer. I, I uh, you know, my prayer life used to be, um, you know, particularly younger in my life. I, I, I feel like really feel like really most of my my prayer life came out of my heart. And and now I feel like the older I get, the more my prayer life happens to me as I benefit from, you know, things that other people have have written and contributed to the prayer space. You know, Book of Common Prayer is a great resource. Uh, a lot of times, you know, really, every day, I'll go through probably about two or three psalms and just let the psalms guide me through prayer and just sort of trust that if God has you know psalm twenty three for me today, then then that's what He wants me to pray through. and then i'll 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 try to you know I'll try to go through the Bible, you know, from Genesis to Revelation once every two years or so. And yeah. so I'll, I'll I'll do some praying through some psalms and and through the book of common prayer, whatever kind of the daily office is. There's an app called uh, Mission Saint Clair, which is really awesome. If people if your hearers want to, you know, listeners want to try that out, it's not for everybody, but but it's it works called what
0: well, call Mission Saint Clair.
1: Mission Saint Clair, and that's C L A R E. It's a free app, and it, it takes you through the daily kind of book and book of common prayer readings that you know, kind of the Anglican communion and those you know those groups, you know, tend to, to use quite regularly. But then this is where I learned a lot from Tim. Um, you know, after the Psalms, I'll go to another, you know, area of scripture, wherever I am in, in the reading of the Bible over the course of two years. And I'll jot, you know, I'll jot down, um, you know, a thought or two that really, you know, stands out in the reading, and then just base sort of the spontaneous from the heart prayers around what I've read that day, which really just, again, allows, you know, the Lord to guide me through, you know, what he's saying to me that day in his word, uh, for prayers. And then I have regular, you know, intercessory stuff, just praying for family and church and the world and the poor and things like that. Um, and that's another area where mission St. Clair app helps a lot because it gives you a very balanced, uh, list of, Things to pray for, so you don't forget to pray for the government. You don't forget to pray for the poor, and a lot of these other things that the scriptures tell us we need to be in prayer for. Um,
0: so this it's is good. You know, I've been looking for an app like this, and while you were talking, I downloaded. You've already it. downloaded it. Oh, it's right. on my phone. It's already there. Yeah. And yeah. what's interesting, it's got morning prayer, evening prayer, like these. Are, and I know, you know, if you're from the evangelical tradition, which which I am, and and you are. You're yep. like, whoa, I don't want anyone to script my prayers or whatever. But sometimes when you just pray the same stuff over and over again, it's not such a bad thing to have, uh, as you say, somebody else uh, help you pray. Because sometimes, you know, even as a pastor, I, I find I get into a rut pretty quickly or I'm very self focused in my prayers and yep. I shouldn't necessarily be that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's. It, it's, it's also important to remember that God gave us the Psalms as a prayer book. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is a guide for, for how to pray. And then, you know, there's an occasion where Jesus' disciples said, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and you know, he gives them the Lord's prayer and gives us the mm-hmm. Lord's prayer. And that's, that's a great order even to follow if, if we're more spontaneous in the way that we pray. And, you know, even praying spontaneously through the different sections of the Lord's prayer is a great way to sort of order our prayer life as well.
0: So you do that, you get up early in the morning and you go through that. That was really helpful. Take us through the next part of your day, typically, knowing that you're you're going to yeah, have some variety sure. depending on the day.
1: Yeah, it depends on the day of the week. But Mondays, we try to stack all of our staff meetings, uh, you know, on Mondays. And so I'm in meetings from 830 in the morning all the way, sometimes until 10 at night, um, you know, if we have elder meetings and things like that. But usually the day ends uh, on Monday the day of meetings ends around 2 or 3 p.m. and then I've got about 2 hours to catch up on email and then either go home for the night or prepare for the evening meetings. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is devoted to sermon prep um and so so I'll I'll block out the calendar and and not focus on anything until the sermon is written and sometimes the sermon's done in 3 hours, sometimes it's done in 8 hours and you know, mm-hmm. whatever's left, whatever's left of the day, uh, again, back to the email just to, to keep up and spontaneous meetings around the office. I'll circle around and try to connect with different staff. So,
0: and, so do you go from like zero to 60 in a single day on a message or have you like identified the idea a few weeks in advance mm-hmm. or how or do you just like, OK, when I'm going to preach on Sunday, walk us through that rhythm?
1: Yeah, so uh, funny you should ask Harry because on my website, because uh, uh, I've been asked, you know, by you know younger pastors and church planners, how do you how do you prepare a sermon? And so I wrote a blog post, and I'll, I'll I'm I'm going to try to call up a link here about my process. But basically, um, this week, for example, I'm I'm doing two things. I'm preparing the message for this coming Sunday, um, but I'm also which I've done all the reading and and prep and research for last week. And and so so it's been marinating. I've been reading up on stuff. And so now, you know, by now, by today, by the time Tuesday comes, the thought process has – I've got kind of a vague outline in my head, and I just really need to focus. And so I'm also simultaneously um, preparing commentary stuff and research and quotes and, you know, pulling together ideas for the message that I'll preach – the the week after that I'm doing this week. And so, so every week I'm collecting material for what's going to happen in two Sundays while also writing the sermon that's going to happen this coming Sunday. But I try to finish the the first pass at it on Tuesday. And then I don't look at it again until Sunday morning, um, where I kind of, you know, bring it all together for the final product. But, um,
0: Okay. No, that's helpful. That's good to know. Yeah, the days of like starting at zero and then going to sixty in a single day are long, long gone. I can't remember the last time I did that because yeah. I yeah. find ideas get richer if you spend more time with them.
1: Yeah, agree with that. Agree with that. Okay, so if you go to scottsalz dot com, uh, I wrote a blog post called "How I Go About Writing a Sermon," and so if you Google that, uh, it's all there. If if any,
0: and we'll link to any, that in the show notes as well. Okay
1: if anyone cares, which is great possibility that nobody cares, but, but, uh, <laughs> it's there if you want it.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. So right. that's a uh, Tuesday. What do you do on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Walk us through that.
1: So Wednesday and Thursday are a mixture of, this is where, you know, where Monday and Tuesday are kind of in the office days. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, I tend to be out in the city of Nashville, you know, meeting with people, meeting with community leaders, meeting with you know, leaders in our church meeting with, um, you know, whoever, um, you know, that I'm supposed to be meeting with that week. And then, and then I'll spend half of Wednesday and half of, of Thursday also, you know, just catching up on email, writing, you know, if I'm writing a book, uh, or a blog, uh, you know, typically that'll happen on Wednesdays and Thursdays at some mm-hmm. point in time. And then Friday, um, Friday I'll, I'll do, work probably up until about noon and then I'll stop. Uh, and so my day off is, is really Friday noon and Saturday that those are my, Mm. my days off. And and then Sunday afternoon, I get a good solid nap, uh, as well.
0: Don't we all, but
1: (laughs) but yeah. And then Sunday I get a, get up super early, you know, four or five o'clock and come in the office and get ready for the services. And, you know, and that's super quiet. And that's a
0: fairly sustainable rhythm for you personally and for your church (laughs) as well. You managed to get most of what needs to be done, done.
1: I think so. I mean, as you know, I mean, the bigger a church gets, the more you depend on, on staff who specialize in certain areas of ministry. And we've got a great, we've just got an amazing staff here and and I've got an executive director named Bob Bradshaw who sort of runs and manages the staff. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the third at 30,000 feet with vision and preaching and things like that. And he, he makes it happen on the ground. And, and so we, we work together really well, like our Enneagrams and Myers Briggs are complete opposites. Um, you know, so our personalities are very different. Um, Um, but we really like each other. And, and you know, and we share, you know, we share the same vision and those sorts of things. And so it's a great, it's been a great partnership.
0: Now, one of the things you talk about in Befriend, and, and we'll get into some of the core messaging of the book, but it's, you know, the need to have meaningful, deep relationships. So what are some of the things you do that help you practice deep conversation, like real conversation, not argument, not polemics, but like, you know, meaningful friendship, meaningful connection and conversations in the people in your life. What are some of those disciplines and, and rhythms?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say that, um, you know, a lot of my my friendships of, of, you know, like like people that I'm not on as sort of the minister or the pastor... But, but people where they're, they're sort of a reciprocal, you know, mutual encouragement dynamic. Most of those people are leaders of some sort. they're yeah. they're leading leading a company. you know, they they're they're they've got some sort of public role, like like maybe a a, a touring musician or um you know songwriter or something like that, you know, because Nashville's got a lot of creative. yeah, yeah they but, do. Pe- but people, people who people who live uh, at least part of their pro- professional life, either on the stage or leading, uh, a board or an organization tend to be, um, you know, those relationships where I really feel like people understand what I do. Cause you, you know, this, I mean, I yeah. think you've written about it. It, it. it can be pretty lonely to be a pastor, like, like, yep. you know, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, leave it to you to, to you know, to tell us why and <laughs> wonderful blog posts, but, but, but it can be lonely.
0: And, oh yeah, totally.
1: Um, it's wonderful. You know, it's, I can't imagine doing anything other than what I do, but but it can be really lonely sometimes to, you know, feel like you've got a lot more um, admirers than you do friends in your church because most people know you and your story a lot better than you know theirs, especially if it's a larger church. Yeah. Um, and and so that feel that can feel a little isolating. And then you know, being at the top of the org chart in any organization, whether it's a church or otherwise, it just it just creates this this kind of weird. Uh, I'd love to be your best friend, but I can't.
2: <laughs> and, yep. and, and
1: even if I tried hard, you wouldn't let me be your best friend because you know, I, we're just, we're, we're, we're not peers. We're peers in the gospel, but we're not peers in, you know, the organization of the church and such. And so, so that, but, but having leaders in my life, you know, just sort of helps, you know, my, my group of guys that I hang out with, um, are leaders and, that helps immensely. Patty, my wife, and I also are, are part of a small group. We don't lead it. And that, that's really meaningful to us too because it, it enables us to just connect with folks in the church and just be regular human beings rather than being on as a pastor. Uh, and our small group really lets us do that. And and um, that's, uh, that's a great part of it too. And I also like to be friends with other pastors in, in
2: mm-hmm. our city.
1: Our city um, that's just always been a really meaningful, um, part of our rhythm is to know other pastors and their, their wives and such.
0: So let's talk about, um, friendship. Um, do you think friendship and conversation is a dying or lost art? And if so, what's killing it?
1: Well, I, yes and no. I mean, I think on the one hand, I mean, this conversation automatically goes to social media, right? Um, Yeah, sure. Either either social media is the best thing in the world or it's the devil, you know, depending on what (laughs) your perspective is. But I think social media has it, it can it can it can be an amazing resource, you know, if it's used well and if it's used in a healthy way, social media is a lot like politics or um, you know, steak, like in moderation, it, it can really bring health into your life and, and good things. But if you overindulge in politics, or you overindulge with steak, it'll give you heart disease or turn you into a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I think social media is very similar. If we use it in moderation, it it, it connects us with a lot more people. Um, I don't know about you, but it's it's a great resource for me to be able to, you know, it's another way to have personal touch into people's lives in, in the church that I pastor. Um you know and and I feel the same
0: yeah. way totally uh,
1: Yeah and it, that's meaningful to people uh you know to be you know even just to get a like from their pastor it it it, it helps them feel known but it, it it also helps me feel like I'm you know connecting on some level with with people I want to connect with because I love them
0: Well you get a window into their lives that honestly wasn't there 15 years ago like you didn't know what happened yeah. in a two right. on a Tuesday in someone's life or Right. you couldn't remember how many kids they had or anything yeah. like that. And that's why I set up a personal account as well as my sort of, mm-hmm. you know, author account on Facebook is I want I want to actually know what's going on in the lives of the people that I love and serve and preach to on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So agree with you on that. Um, now, it can become, you know, all consuming when, when our when sure. our relating with people is more through a screen than it is You know, face to face with eye contact, body language, and all that, it it, it can, it can become, it can have a reverse effect of what we're trying to to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish deeper intimacy and understanding. And and what happens is a sense of isolation and alienation because we're not, we're not meant to chiefly communicate that way. And, And, you know, we're made for incarnation, we're made for connection, we're, you know, we're created in the image of God, right? And God is a community and he's one altogether. And so, um, important to just keep social media in its place to use it in healthy ways not to dismiss it as a bad thing but to to use it in a healthy way
0: it's a different i mean like philosophically and i guess we're a decade into social media where everybody had access to it you know facebook is over 10 years old now etc cetera, etc cetera. but i guess i guess we're starting to ask the philosophical questions like what happens to the human soul on mm. social media what, what's your take mm. on that like it, it is a kind of connection but is it a different kind of connection
1: yeah it, it can it can lead to negative things happening it could cause your soul to start dripping out of your body um, <laughs> if if you're relating to people is only partial for instance you know Carrie if I only see you know the good happy successful people things about your life which 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 are the things that we're most prone to put out there for other people. Sure. Uh and I and I don't know what you're going through personally. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your dreams are. Um you know because you know for whatever reason you're holding that back or vice versa I'm holding that back from you. I only get part of you and not all of you as as a friend. And so I'm more your fan than I am your friend mm. uh if I if I only know part of you. And and True. And you know, social media gives us a lot more fans and followers than it does friends, truly, if, if that's the chief way that we relate to people. So that that can have an alienating effect. And the other is the comparison thing that happens because yeah. Your your life looks a lot more beautiful, uh, you know, on social media than it probably does in real life, and so does mine. Oh yeah. And and, and so I'm I'm always I'm looking through the screen thinking, gosh, I wish that my life were like Carrie's. He he looks like he has <laughs> no problems. Is looks like his staff never gets frustrated with his leadership. It, you know, yeah, looks not like publicly you know, no, everybody right. nobody in his church is criticizing <laughs> what he's doing, you know. And, and, you know and and we can see yep. we look at each other that way and it's it's we can have false narratives about one another that that leads us to compare ourselves and get depressed and I don't after- I don't know
0: whether you and Patty are watching the <laughs> Netflix series The Crown have you seen that? No. Oh, no, uh, Tony recommend- and I my wife and I were watching through it and there's an amazing episode in the first season where Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip and they're at this point they're still in their 20s young monarch um and uh, they're they're having a fight. She's feeling the weight of the crown, and they have this like she's throwing things at Prince Philip and chasing him out of the room. And then they stop dead and they look. And this is like 1954. So and and again, it's a it's, a, it's not a reenactment. It's a it's a drama, but apparently quite accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a film crew from the BBC there, and they're all just standing there with the most awkward look on their face, mm-hmm. and. You know, the Queen is stopped and Prince Philip is stopped, and they kind of look at each other and they realize they've just intruded on the most sacred space in someone's marriage and it's not the PR. Is and, and then so eventually wow. she goes out to speak to them and says, Well, I suppose you just saw what happens in every marriage. Wow. And uh, he hands her the film. It's amazing. Wow. The photographer wow. pulls the film reel out and he says, Another gift for you, Your Majesty. Wow. And I thought, that is another era, because that wow. never would happen today. And yet yeah. there was a dignity and a respect, and and you're right. I mean, you can read the stories about Kennedy, and some of that's good and some of that's bad, where the press just respected certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, media certainly is different. We just had the most, you know, last year, <laughs> the most interesting election, I think, in human history, or mm-hmm. one of them anyway. Mm -hmm. played out on social media. There's something Mm -hmm. different about it and it can be corrosive to the soul, can't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, okay. So has that impacted conversations and like, do you think that now the real conversation we're having face to face has been distorted or cheapened or ruined by the way we talk to each other online?
1: I think uh, there's great potential for that. I mean, especially when things like politics that people really care deeply about is it, sort of put out there in sound bites, rather than in the context of a full conversation where people are doing as much listening as as we are talking and 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 so on. Um, yeah, man. I mean, yeah. it, it can go, it can go south, uh, you know, on social media. I mean, this is why so many people say, you know, never share a negative thought in an email. Uh, just because we, we don't have body language, we don't have eye contact and stuff is so easily misunderstood or inflated, uh, or misinterpreted. And, sure. and so that human interaction, it's still the way to go.
0: <laughs> why did you write befriend? Why, why, why was that an important message for you? What were you seeing in the culture that caused you enough alarm to, to address it?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I, there really, I think two two things that mo- well, three things that motivated me. One was I signed a two book deal with the publisher, so I, had, <laughs> so I had to write a second book after Jesus Outside the Lines.
0: That's um, motivating. Yeah. So that's
1: one motivation. I was under contract, but 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 the the other two motivations for this particular book. Um, you know, on on the friendship emphasis, uh, I I think that most people are lonely, uh, and, Mm. um, I'm lonely a lot of the time, you know, and you you would never guess that because I, you know, I've got, you know, 3000 member church that that I pastor and, and um, you know, a lot of friends and followers on social media. Right. So, so of course I'm not lonely and I, I, I'm lonely probably half the time. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that most that's true of most people that, that we're, we're a lot lonelier than, and a lot less connected than, um, than maybe we tend to portray. And, Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to touch a nerve there because that's, that's the only negative thing that God spoke into paradise. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And, Mm -hmm. And he spoke that into a perfect existence and even the perfect existence wasn't quite perfect because Adam yeah. was still alone. Um, but the other uh, aspect of the book, and I think that that it's told more in the subtitle than it is the title, um, create belonging in an age of judgment, isolation, and fear. Um, you know, which gets to your previous question about, you know, the impact of negativity on social media and such. Um, They're 21 chapters. uh, They're all kind of short. They're fairly short chapters, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 words, which is about a half of a chapter or a third of a chapter, depending on how long Mm -hmm. your chapters are. Um, But but they're designed to to be digestible, uh, and there are 21 of them because uh, I could I I was able to come up with 21 different angles on um, what most of us feel is wrong with the world. Is wrong with the church, or is wrong with us? Mm. And and I'm exploring each one of those subjects through the prism of friendship. How we can can achieve deeper belonging, deeper community, deeper friendship, and deeper um, wisdom on the complex issues of our time, like the refugee crisis, or like you know the race conversation, or politics, and you know the differences we have over politics, or you know, the Pharisees in our lives, the prodigals in our lives, the dysfunctional family member, you know children, you know so on. and so i'm'm I'm trying to tackle a lot of things that are that I think are on a lot of people's minds, at least in my world, through the prism of friendship.
0: One of the points you make, which which I thought was really good because I mean, this is programmatically built into a lot of churches is that we organize ourselves on the basis of sameness or mm-hmm. likeness. In other yeah. words, oh, we have the same level of education, we'll be friends. Or we do the same thing in different companies, we'll be friends. Or, hey, mm-hmm. we look alike, we sound alike, we talk alike, we have the same interests. I mean, runners mm-hmm. tend to hang out with runners, cyclists with cyclists, you know. It's really interesting. And you say, that's not always a good thing. What is the upside and the downside to friendships that are one-dimensional or based on sameness.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly not a problematic thing to gravitate toward people that you have stuff in common with. I mean, C.S. Lewis, you know, writes about how, you know, a friendship begins when one person looks at another person and says, oh, you too? Um, (laughs) So having things in common is is important. Um, You know, I mean, even the Bible says that, you know commonality in the gospel, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's the beginning of friendship. The beauty of of Christianity, though, is it gives us a a basis, you know, in, in our shared, you know, love for Christ to, to be friends across the lines of culture and differences and politics. I mean, you know, like Matthew and Simon, two disciples of Jesus were political opposites. One of them's a zealot yes. and the other's a government tax collector or you know, you look at David and Jonathan, you know, one of them, you know, works with sheep and, and another one of them's royalty and, and they're, they're the best of friends. Or, you know, you put John, you know, who's this tender hearted, sanguine guy and 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 Peter, you know, a bull in a china shop. You know, those two are disciples together as well. And 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 so, you know, that shared, you know, gospel understanding and that shared love for Christ and that shared having been redeemed by Christ. Uh, is the beginning of friendship for all kinds of people, you know, cross racially, cross culturally, you know, mm-hmm. no female, no Jew, no sl- no Greek, no slave, no free, and so on. Um, so I can't remember what your question was. Oh yeah,
0: no uh, sameness yeah. and and uh, and one dimensional friendship. Yeah, one dimensional
1: friendships. Those those yeah, I talk about that in kind of the, the introductory chapter where so often we keep our friendships superficial by just focusing only on and, and 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 interacting only around those things that we have in common like i've got my like i'm a north carolina tar heels basketball person and so <laughs> if you if you are too you know that that runs the risk of being the only thing that we talk about and i never get to know you on a deeper level and so that that's sort of a that that's a, a friendship that stays above the surface or you know you're a pastor and i'm a pastor and we talk about pastor things but but we don't talk about yeah, or about, you're
0: white middle. Let's name it. You're white middle class. I'm white middle class. So we talk about right. things that white middle class people talk about, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so important to you know to 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 have relationships with those who can can help us uh, understand and empathize with the minority voice. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that's the point. Like the gospel breaks down all of those social barriers that really, honestly, move you way beyond your comfort zone. Absolutely. Personally. Okay. That's interesting. You also write about shame and shaming, which is interesting. And I mean, I don't even know that public shaming was really much of a thing a decade ago. And now we talk about social media shaming or shaming people for doing things. How, talk about that shift in culture um, both accelerating, and you make the argument that culture has accelerated the act of like shaming others, but also feeling ashamed and experiencing shame personally.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we're all born experiencing shame because there's something that's not right with us, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. we <laughs> yeah. know intrins- intrinsically, whether we have Jesus or not, we know in our souls that something's wrong with us. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the artist. Think you know, I'm a hazard to myself. Don't let me get me right? right. Um, you know, we all live that narrative and we all like Adam and Eve, you know, arrange and strategize our lives around covering it up that there's something hmm. wrong with us. And, and, and so we all carry it. It's kind of our starting point as human beings. But, um, you know, one of the ways that, 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 that a lot of us try to cover our own shame is, is by, drawing attention to the flaws and weaknesses of other people, um, and, you know, through gossip, which, which really I think is just another form of pornography, um, you know, gossip, okay. is a way, it's a way to exploit, uh, you know, somebody else's weakness, um, without making any commitment to them, uh, in oh, order wow. to get a bit of a, a cheap thrill, uh, and, and to feel better about ourselves and about our own lives <laughs> entirely at somebody else's expense. We objectify it. Other people with gossip and with slander and things of that sort um, which I think is why the New Testament is so sharp you know against gossip because of not only how it destroys community but how it it damages a soul
2: um, so you know, true. sticks
1: and sticks and stones may break my bones but but words can never hurt me you know, bull <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah 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 I'm, I'm calling bull on that one uh, words can cut us deeply and and often do but But yeah, the online shaming thing, um, you know, social media is a a contributor to that. I mean, we we form mobs, kind of a coliseum culture develops around, you know, a common enemy. And and a lot of people seek false community by by declaring a shared enemy. Um, You know, liberals look at conservatives as the enemy. Conservatives look at liberals as the enemy, um, you know, and 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 you know, we pounce, you know, just like the people in John eight pounced on the woman caught in adultery. Um, I think, you know, that was less about, about her adultery and and a lot more about their own shame that they were trying to cover as as these Mm. sort of sanctimonious religious people. I mean, arrogant religion and, and, and boasting is a product of deep insecurity and inferiority. Um, and Mm. you know, otherwise we wouldn't have a feel need to put other people in their place. If we were secure about, you know, who God's, made us to be. And so, that's, that's
0: really interesting. I, d- I don't want to glance off of that too quickly. But basically what you're saying is secure people are okay. Um, not shaming others, not gossiping. You 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 see, and I, I mean that resonates with me, but you see a direct connection between insecurity and shaming others and, you know, ganging up on people versus a secure person who just feels they don't need to.
1: Absolutely. The most insecure person in the room is the one who gossips the
0: most. Um, wow,
1: you're deflecting, you're deflecting your own shame away from you and you're, you're dumping it on somebody else.
0: Don't look um, at me. Don't look at me. Don't come too yeah, close.
1: It, it's a self salvation oh, wow. strategy. You know, Jesus isn't enough to, to perfect my you know reputation in the eyes of God. Jesus isn't enough. Ooh. And so, so I, I need, I need to put other people down. You know, it's like, it's like it says in Luke 18, nine, you know, G, when, right before Jesus speaks the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, it says to, to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. And mm-hmm. it's 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 the Pharisee who's shaming everybody else. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, tax collectors, adulterers. But the the, the incredible thing about that passage though is in the in the Greek, it says that 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 the that the Pharisee prayed to himself
0: yeah in in, in
1: other words he's preaching a sermon to him his own soul he's saying soul you are better than everybody else and and because because what 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 christ has declared about him in christ is not enough and and so he has to preach in himself to himself that he's superior because of how deeply inferior he feels And, and then you've got the tax collector over here who's not looking at the pharisee at all He's only looking at himself in reference to God. And he's, he says, you know, have mercy on me, God, the sinner. And it's this one that goes home justified and secure. Uh, and and the, the Pharisee goes home condemned and, and, and still, you know, still being a, a jerk for Jesus, so to speak. But, but, but that's because he's got an empty soul.
0: The fascinating link between security And what you say about other people and how you treat other people—just man—didn't want to lose that one. Mm -hmm. Anything else on shame and shaming? Because that is something that really is becoming part of our culture.
1: Yeah, look, I I think this is one of the reasons why Ann Voskamp, you know, that you you mentioned a while ago, uh, is so endearing to so many people, people who are more liberal than she is, people mm. who are more conservative than she is, she is one of the rare people who's who's a, who still is valued by by audiences that don't agree with her on everything, um, you know, and, and as well as the many, many millions who do agree with her on, right, on, right, on, on right. what she says. But, but even the fringes, you know, Anne is able to capture their attention because she offers this, what has now become a counter cultural kindness. Hmm. Um, you know, kindness is such a rare commodity. Um, you know, one of the things that we say a lot in our kind of in our environment here is that, you know, you know, cool, cool may win high school, but kindness wins life. And, 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 and <laughs> I
0: like that. I haven't heard and, and, of that. As a and I think Canadian.
1: that, you know, a lot of us just have stayed in high school. You know, there, there are a lot of, you know there are a lot of 10-year-old grown-ups and 80-year-old children um, yeah. you know because you know sometimes we, we just get karmagyny and 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 we never grow into the kindness that God has created us for but you know somebody love like it. Ann for instance she's kind she's just kind to everybody and that's that's just incredibly endearing and attractive because it's a fruit of the spirit right and <laughs> and uh
0: it is a fruit of the spirit it's not some namby-pamby virtue i love that right. cool wins that's high true. school kindness wins life
1: so there's this quote carrie that's attributed to plato the philosopher and i think it's attributed to plato the philosopher just because it makes you sound smarter if you if you're quoting a philosopher (laughs)
2: Um,
1: but plato scholars would say he never never actually said this Um, but uh it's it you know it's attributed to whoever that person named anonymous is but the quote is be kind because every person you meet is fighting a hidden battle and I think if we all approached our conversations with that in the forefront of our minds, it would it would it would be a game changer um, in terms of the kind of community that could could be built on you know, around that.
0: you know you think about that. you mentioned Anne, I think about my friend Reggie Joyner, one of the kindest people I know, and always always looking for the most charitable explanation, always like you know, in a room where almost everybody would condemn somebody, he'd be like, well, Sure, there's a story underneath that, you know. Let's mm-hmm. dig a little bit deeper. It's so so good. Okay, yeah. you you uh, again. It's twenty one different chapters, and you say you could almost do that, like not as a devotion, but uh, just a daily reading, right? Like just a, a daily reading.
1: So, I actually, at the end of the first chapter, I, I I talk about three different ways to read the book. The, the the preferred way, the most preferred way to read the book, is is in a group full of people, at least some of whom disagree with you on some things. Right. Uh, right. So, and then the other is to just go through it with one person. Uh, and then, and then the third way to do it is by yourself. But each chapter has, you know, a few scriptures that you can meditate on after reading the chapter. Uh, each chapter also has, you know, questions that can be processed individually or as a, as a, as a group They're Actually, I've been really encouraged. I'm getting a lot of emails and, you know, such, you know, people telling me they're, they're taking their like pastors saying they're, they're, they're taking their whole church through it. It's like, it is the small group curriculum for their church for the Mm. next, you know, year or whatever, which, which just really, you know, is so rewarding to hear that, um, you know, that it's making its way into, you know, different networks like Acts 29 and, um, you know, kind of the catalyst group and, you know, relevant and those folks, um, like a lot of churches out of those movements, um, you know, are saying that they're, they're taking their churches through it because, you know, these are the conversations that their people are having and, they also want their people to build, you know, meaningful community around subjects that matter to everybody. It's also written so that you can bring people in who don't identify with Jesus. Uh, I, I hope it's yeah, it's a, pretty it's accessible.
0: It really is. I hope yeah, and I, I hope it's an way to me.
1: Presentation of uh, I hope it's an attractive presentation of the way um, that Christianity can, you know be thoughtful. And, and yeah, I think
0: it talks about the things that we don't talk about enough in the church. One of which you said, um, friendship with people who have different sexual, I don't know what the term was habits. Uh, that's what I wrote <laughs> down, but different sexual preferences and lifestyles than, than we would have. And you point out, and I thought this was really good that there's, and, and you see these polls happening in our culture right now, Christians will either tend to agree, perhaps you argue too quickly with the cultural norms, in other words, the culture is flipped on sexual ethics, so we change our theology, or they too quickly distance themselves from anyone different than them. And you suggest yeah. another way. Can you talk about that?
1: Sure. So the the uh, you know the chapter is befriending sexual minorities, right? And right. So yeah, it, it's it's hopefully uh, hopefully that chapter paints a vision for what it could look like for people of faith to engage you know, lovingly, you know, with a combination of love and conviction. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very pretty explicit about it. I, I identify with the, um, you know, the, the historic understanding of sexuality, uh, you know, as presented to us in the early chapters of Genesis and as reaffirmed by Jesus, you know, when God said in the beginning, he made them male and female. I'm, I'm a, Um, I don't like the word using the word traditional because of of how much baggage is around that word. Just like there's so much baggage around the word evangelical now, even though I identify as traditionally evangelical in the pure sense of the word. Mm -hmm. But, um, basically, um, basically what, what I'm advocating for is, is love across the lines of difference, which is the whole theme of Jesus Mm. outside the lines, which is my first book. But love across the lines of difference that, that, that um, you know, the more conservative we are in our biblical theology, truly that the more we embrace every word of Scripture, the more liberal we'll be in the way that we love people who don't agree with us on things and who live differently okay. than we do and believe differently than we do. And um, you know, if I am identifying with Jesus and following Jesus to the places where the types of places where Jesus was constantly going, then I will be accused at some point by by religious insiders of being a tax collector and a glutton uh, and a drunk because of of not because I'm a a, a, a glutton and a drunk because in, in truth but because I hang out with people you know who who are uh,
2: mm-hmm. because
1: that's what Jesus did he welcomed sinners and ate with them had table fellowship with people who didn't believe in him you know he he called Judas, Judas friend when Judas betrayed, right as Judas was betraying him he called him friend or. Um, you know, and, and, and so th- there has to be something other than just bullying people and shouting people down and scolding them. I've, I've never met a single person who fell in love with Jesus because Christians scolded them about their ethics or their morality. Yeah, uh, I've met a lot of people who became Christians because Christians loved them across the lines of difference. And, mm. and so, and I think the best case, so for, I think the best case this is the last thing I'll say the best case for biblical marriage. That Christians can make is to have biblical marriages, and you know, in, inside the church, marriage in many ways is a disa- as much a disaster as it is outside the church. You know this; you're a pastor. Yeah. Um, Come into this um, loveless and so, relationship
0: and live according uh, to God.
1: Let's show the world what a beautiful Christ, you know, fueled marriage looks like, and 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 let's also um, make the church into to the place that is the most life giving place. And joyful place in the world for uncoupled people. Uh, I think we need to reclaim a robust biblical theology of singleness. You know, the Apostle Paul and Jesus were both unmarried men, and they mm. give us the strongest teaching on marriage, and 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 on their strongest true. teaching on on the church and the community of God. And that there has to be like widows and and divorced people and people who've never been married have to feel in our churches like they are part of the A team. You know, like, like they're mm. not. Like, like, I don't know where it 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 became a, a legitimate idea that 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 being married and having two children was the ideal Christian existence because that's not what the scriptures present. It's a great thing. I mean, I'm married and have two children and I, I yeah. love my life. But, but, but being single, have not having a life my, like mine, may may make you more of a Christian than I am. Because of the kinds of things Paul said about the value of being single in the kingdom of God, so
0: totally, you know, I I think those are really, I mean, it's pretty challenging stuff. And on that note, you know, it's it's a safe book for six or seven chapters, and then it just gets more and more complex and overwhelming. You talk about befriending sexual minorities, family, the grieving, the dying, children, the rich and powerful, the poor, refugees, people of other races. Is that like a universal call? to all people? It's like, hey, the more you become like Jesus, the more your friendship will run across all these lines.
1: I love how N.T. Wright talks about imagining God's future into the present, uh, Mm. you know, and living as much now the the the, the existence of heaven as we possibly can. And what's heaven going to be like, man, every nation, tribe and tongue, rich and poor, um, you know, Every, every color, every 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 place on on the org chart, every income bracket, all equals uh, at the feet of Jesus. All community with one another at the feet of Jesus. And and the more we can move in that direction, the the more we're getting ourselves and each other ready for for the way we're going to spend the rest of eternity. So let's start now,
0: man. You know, Scott. I think that's good, but I I feel like our culture, and I write a lot about culture, and you think a lot about culture and write about it as well. But I feel like our culture is moving toward more of a tribal, more of a same, more of a well. You and I are alike, so we'll hang out, and we're opposed to that. Like in that sense, the gospel is becoming more and more a countercultural message.
1: Absolutely, I mean diversity. Diversity is a buzzword uh, in the world of politics because you know everybody in the world of politics claims, you know, like, like, like Donald Trump gets up and says, I'm going to be everybody's president. Uh, Hillary Clinton said, I'm going to be everybody's president. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, George Bush and Barack Obama both said, I'm going to be everybody's president. If you didn't vote for me, if you didn't vote for me, I'm going to be your president. Well, it it never works out that way because, because any sort of political philosophy or political vision by design excludes, and marginalizes some community or group groups of, of communities of people. Um, and and, and it, it causes some group of people to, to, to feel and to be left out of, of whatever the vision is. This is the beauty of Jesus's kingdom, which makes Jesus's kingdom supreme above any other kingdom or politic, is that that on the one hand it is exclusive, uh, but you, but it's only exclusive because you select out of it. You know, I'm the mm-hmm. way, and the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. If you can be on board with that, you're included. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so it's exclusive on one hand because only Christ, you know, Christ makes those exclusive claims. But it's it's the most inclusive. Christianity is the most inclusive movement in the world. Um yes, it you know, is. Politically left, politically right. You know, from Asia, from Africa, from from. United States, it transcends culture. The gospel does. I mean, it transcends gender. It transcends, you know, all of these things that divide us and cause us to tribalize. And 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 so so yeah, it's a great opportunity in, in, in season of history where Christians do have an opportunity to, to stand out, hopefully in beautiful ways and not in, um, you know, jerky sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah.
0: You also you kind of end the book or come toward the end. You talk about befriending God like actually having a friendship with God, what does that look like? Because I think a lot of church leaders feel like we work for Him, <laughs> but do we really know mm, Him? Are we really yeah. friends? What is what is the essence of that for you?
1: I mean, for, for me, Carrie, uh, it's very basic and ordinary. I mean, when I was young in my Christianity, I felt like intimacy with God was all about the experience, and it was all about the kind of getting high on Jesus and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the buzz and, and, you know, there's, I I think those, those moments of sort of euphoria are, they, they have their place in our, in discipleship, that there is a fueling element, but I I think they really need to be the caboose of the train rather than the engine of the train. Um, you know, even Jesus said, all all you Jews, you know, he's speaking to the Jews, all you want, all you're looking for is the next miracle. Um, when, when, when I'm here to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet you in the ordinary. Uh, and even when you, even, even when you feel like you're not meeting me, I'm meeting you like, like, you know, my thoughts are higher mm-hmm. than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so just the everyday, you know, acknowledgement of God's faithfulness in every little detail of our life, like every breath I inhale, every little ounce of oxygen is a gift from God. And, and just. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about how he sees everything in his life through the lens of 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 his Christianity. And you know, when when I see everything, every person, every place, and everything as a good and perfect gift from God, it just changes changes our orientation and perspective about the life that God's given us. But but to to see Jesus in the simple things and, and not to and, and in the ordinary things and not not to believe the lie that He only shows up in the extraordinary. Um, you know what I mean?
0: A good theology. That's how I, I feel more and more every year. I feel like God is in the cracks and the nuances and the the small moments of the day, as well as in that first hour yeah. uh, when I'm connecting with him, hopefully directly and yeah. specifically. Okay. I'm going to switch gears for a little bit, Scott. And uh, I asked you if it was okay to ask you this, but I'm a huge Tim Keller fan and you got the chance to work with him for five years. So uh, I know I'm not alone in that and speak on behalf of a lot of leaders listening. What were some of your greatest moments, learnings? Uh, what were some of the great highlights of working with Tim?
1: So the fun part is that the church I'm pastoring now is the is the primary church that sent Tim and Kathy to plant uh, Redeemer about 30 years ago. I did not, not know that.
0: Really? So, yeah, they were the sending
1: so, yeah. church? Wow. He's like, he's like a spiritual son to me. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, uh, that's awesome
1: totally totally joking on that one but but here here's here was my experience going in um w- one of the things that that i love about tim keller is that he's a man of imperfection and mm-hmm. uh, and and he's okay with that and and uh, I think we have to recognize and I mean Carrie, gosh so so many high profile pastors have crashed and burned in the last year year and a half oh, I know some of them are friends of yours some yes. of them are friends of mine and uh I think it's time for us to to take pastors off of pedestals and mm-hmm. it's time for us as pastors to um to, to become less concerned with, with platform and more concerned with faithfulness, uh, and let our faithfulness be our platform. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, you know, pastor Robert Murray McShane said the best thing that you can give your people is your personal holiness and and your own walk with God. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what I learned from Tim. I mean, he, you know, before I knew him, so he calls and I'm, you know, to invite me to come work for him and, I, you know, I was nervous to talk to him on the phone cause I felt like I'm, you know, I'm talking to one of the apostles or something. Right, right? And, yeah.
2: and, it's Peter and
1: calling, you know, and, and, and the truth of the matter is that, 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 that Tim is more, um, uh, more comfortable probably, I think he would say with a group of 10,000 people than he is with, with a group of two or three. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's very introverted, um, you know, and, and this is one of the the hidden secrets about the greatest preachers in the world and the greatest preachers in history. Most of them are introverts. Yeah. Um. Because the preaching the preaching event is a very introverted thing. You know this, right? Like you're in mm-hmm. your own. Everybody's eavesdropping on what you're what's going on in your own thoughts. Um. But but, but to you know, I thought I was going to work and learn learn from um, you know, the greatest preacher in the world, the greatest English speaking preacher of our time, in my opinion. I realize. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their opinion about that kind of stuff, but that's my opinion. And I still have that opinion. I still think he's the greatest English speaking preacher uh, of our time. He's amazing. But, but, but when I, when I left after being there for five years to come pastor Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, um, I left, um, you know, his preaching and leadership and vision to which I owe about 90% of, of my own preaching. Mm-hmm. and vision, is about number eight on the list of the things that I appreciate most about Tim. What I left uh, with, you know, wanting to imitate even more than preaching and leadership and vision, was the prayer life that that he has. He's a man of deep, deep prayer and devotion. Uh, he's become more prayerful as his platform has grown, and oftentimes oh, the, the reverse is true yep. uh, with a lot of <laughs> pastors, which is why why many pastors crash and burn is they lose touch with God. Um, and, and, um, and the other thing is he's got a very strong marriage. He and Kathy have always had a very, very strong marriage. She's his best friend, mm-hmm. uh, always has been, there's a real partnership between the two of them and, and the humility, um, you know what it's like, Carrie, to be a high profi- in a high profile position that God has, has positioned you in and receive criticism. Yep. Um, Tim receives a lot of criticism. Most of it is very unfair and untrue and and unfair characters, characterizations, you know, that he's this or that he's that. And uh, in five years, I never once uh, saw Tim get defensive. Mm -hmm. I never once saw him uh, strike back either in private or in public. I never once witnessed him Uh, saying a negative gossip word about anybody.
0: See, and that's crazy. You wrote about that in Befriend, didn't you? I remember you reading that. Half
1: chapter, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and that really challenged me because it can be very tempting, whether it's an iTunes review on this podcast where somebody says, well, pretty good, but blah, 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 blah. I mean, my instinct is not good in those situations when somebody criticizes a message that you just poured 40 hours into or... Some, you know, person on the internet just takes a stick of dynamite to a blog post you poured your heart into. It's yeah. very hard not to react emotionally to that. But you said something yeah. in the book, and maybe you were going there and I just interrupted you. But like, he, he actually says, well, where's the kernel of truth? What can I yeah. learn? And then, did he not, like you, you wrote, um, like, Tim actually will take time to pray for that person. And says yeah. maybe i need to pray for that person.
1: Yeah, so Tim is a student student of um, of godly dead people. Um, you know, he, he would attribute <laughs> yeah. a lot of his, you know, his own shaping to CS Lewis, to Augustine, to George Whitfield, yeah. uh, and especially John Newton. So John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Yeah. You know, has written these amazing letters, many of which uh, you know and they can be accessed for free if you google them. Um, the letters of John Newton, but, but, but Tim Mm. has been a student and recipient of those letters. And one of the letters that John Newton wrote is, is a letter that he called on controversy. And, and it's a letter that he wrote to a young pastor, uh, basically mentoring a young pastor about how to deal with criticism. And one of the things that Newton says is even if you're unfairly criticized, look for the kernel of truth in there so that you'll have something to repent of because every opportunity to repent is an opportunity to grow closer to Jesus. Wow. Um, you know, there's another guy named Jack Miller that, that Tim taught alongside with at Westminster Seminary. Um, and Jack Miller, um, the way that Jack dealt with, um, with, with unfair criticism uh, is, is, or, or true criticism is just to, to, to say to himself, you know, this person doesn't know the half of it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if that person really really knew how bad and how messed up I am, um, they'd be selling it, saying a lot worse things about me than than this or that. Uh, that's so good. Sometimes the lies that people tell about us actually are better than, 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 than the, what, truth. <laughs> the truth. So the point, the point being, oh, you know, so just being a place of humility, but I emerged from my five years with a prayer that I kind of came up with, that I pray for myself regularly as a leader and that I pray for other leaders. Um, uh, you know, God grant me character that is greater than my gifts and humility that's greater than my platform. And that that prayer came chiefly out of just witnessing the kind of man that Tim is up close. I I want people who live up close to me to see me as a humble, kind, prayerful person. I I don't know if the people that I live up close to would would describe me that way, but I, I hope that's the way that I finish.
0: Oh, that's so good. And you know, that's what we, isn't that what we all wish was true? That when you get behind the stage, and I mean, for you for you to say, because I, I do think Tim Keller is one of the greatest preachers of the last century. I just, I love his stuff. I'm a listener. I have his books. They're right behind me in my office. I mean, I love what God is doing through Tim. But to walk away and say, I thought I was talking to the greatest preacher and now that's number 98 because there's so many other things on top of that. But yeah. he's still a great preacher. I mean, yeah. Is, is, yeah. is incredible. And I hope that is true. Andy Stanley says it this way, you know, hopefully the people, and I'm going to butcher this if Andy's listening. Sorry, Andy, but mm-hmm. he says it better. He'll make it rhyme. I know he will. But, uh, you know, I hope the people closest to me think the most of me. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's really yeah. important. Because some guy who heard some sermon clip that, you know, wrote a blog post about it and got a thousand people angry. That's one yeah. thing. But what mm-hmm. does your wife think of you? What about your kids? What about your neighbors? What about your best yeah. friends? What about the people who see you in every moment? What did they say? What does your team right. say? What does your staff say on good days and on bad days? I think that is ultimately the legacy that we leave. And yeah. uh, I'm going to chew on on the last part of that conversation. That's really good. You know, the, the part from Newton's letters and, you know, well, that critic, he doesn't know the half of it. It's actually much worse. Right. That's yeah. so true, and it, and that is good Calvinism, right? There's no knowledge that, of God without knowledge of self. There's no knowledge right, of man. self. That is Calvinist, man. Totally.
1: Oh, I know not to go to the Calvinist Arminian debate on uh, on somebody else's podcast, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not uh, go I was there I was
0: a student of Calvin, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go. Right, I'm, right. I'm I'm right. I'm not going to get bloggers all over me either. But yeah, what yeah, I yeah. will say is, one of Calvin's greatest lines, I think, is there is no knowledge of God without knowledge of self. And yeah. there is no knowledge of self without knowledge of God.
1: That's right. And so the, here's one other great thing about Tim. Hmm. So I, I'm a Calvinist. Tim's a okay. Calvinist, right? <laughs> Tim's a Calvinist, but, but, but we use prayers from John Wesley, you know, in, ah! in, in, in that environment. <laughs> you know? so, and you're reading again.
0: the Anglicans. What is with this, you know? Come on. Uh, is this yeah, like, like a kingdom or something? What's going on?
1: I'm a closet Anglican, I think probably. <laughs> I guess I just outed myself, but <laughs> um, I'm proud of it. So, um, yeah.
0: Okay. So, what? One more thing about Tim. Sorry did did that get lost in my that stupid That was it. Jokes? Uh, oh, know, John,
1: John Wesley was. Oh, using John Wesley's public prayers? Public yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just an appreciation of the broader body of Christ is is you know well, you know C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, was Anglican as well, and mm. definitely not coming from a Calvinist perspective, and yet, you know, Tim would allow himself to be so deeply influenced by, you know, not just people from his own tribe. I, I, guess I think I like heard
0: that. him preach once. It was really funny. One of his messages, he said, you know, when I have a lot of time to prepare a message, I write one. When I don't, I just quote a lot of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't we all. It's really good. Hey, Scott, this is amazing. Um, your latest book is called Befriend. Where can people find it and where can people find you?
1: Well, it's it's um uh, befriend is is all it's at all the different you right. Know, it's
0: everywhere. It's available Amazon, everywhere.
1: Barnes and Noble, you know your local local bookstore, etc. Um, or if you wanted to go on my website scottsauls.com slash books, you'll you'll get all the different online options as well as you know you can type in your zip code and they're also a free chapter of of that book and oh, also Jesus outside the lines so people can read um, you know, before they decide whether or not they want to buy the book. So, um, so there's that.
0: Good. And we'll link to all of it in the show notes as well. Scott, Thanks, it's, it's been a joy. Cheers. And I'll say one more time, I know this won't be our last conversation on this podcast. Oh, I hope, so, I, I, hope, Thank I you. hope
1: so. And if you're in Nashville, come see us.
0: I, I will. Thanks so much.
1: All right. Thank you, Carrie.
0: Isn't that just like a needed voice in the church today? At least I think so. I mean, one of the things I'm committed to online, and this is on my blog, if, if, you know, I have this podcast, I have a couple of podcasts, the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast, but I also write a blog. And one of the things I'm pretty passionate about is just raising the tone of discussion and debate online because it can get so negative so quickly. And so if you're with me, hey, be one of the good people and like leave good comments and be kind to people. And you can be truthful, but you just don't have to really be so polarizing when you do that. And certainly in our relationships, in our friendships, in in the actual relationships we have in our community with people... I just think Scott brings a very needed, very timely message. So you're going to want to check out his new book, Befriend. It's an incredible book. And uh, all the links to it are in the show notes. Just kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 130. So next week, I'm back with a fresh episode on Tuesday with Kyle Eidelman. And uh, Kyle's got a fascinating story. Here's a little snippet from my conversation with Kyle.
3: Uh, the church had maybe been going six months or so, and I was... Yeah, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by it.
0: Uh,
3: Hmm. Not sleeping that great. Started taking some sleeping medication, which I was and 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 uh, and and I remember, um, you know, one night waking up and having this very strange sense. uh, This sounds weird, but I had this very strange sense that God was laughing at me. Not not what you want, right? (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's not a
0: typical biblical experience. But go ahead.
3: And and it may have been, you know, the Mexican from the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just telling you. So the, so, uh, and I didn't think too much of it. And then a number of years later I was moving out of the house we were in and I, uh, was sliding my, my desk, which is a real heavy desk. I, I was sliding it across the floor. And my son who was like three or four at the time came over and started helping me try to push this desk. And, and, um, we were kind of inching it along when he, he looked up at me and, and told me I was in his way. And, uh, and I, you know, like all right. I kind of laughed at him, and I didn't. I had been again a number of years, and almost as soon as I kind of laughed at that comment, I was brought back to that moment where, in the middle of that church plant, I sensed God was kind of laughing at me, wow. and uh, and it and it kind of, you know, it it made sense to me that I I thought I was pushing the desk. You know, I <laughs> thought, man, if I don't move this thing along, it's not going to happen, and you know. And just the reminder that we, you know, we're not pushing the desk. We we are um, humbly making ourselves available to God. We are being faithful to His Word and what He's called us to. But at the end of the day, you know, the, He makes it grow. He He makes the, you know, He He pushes the desk.
0: Well, you want to know how you won't miss that? You won't miss it if you subscribe. So if you haven't subscribed yet, do that. And I know, you know, here's the reality of podcast world. I only really listen to the podcast that I subscribe to because you always see something on social. You're like, oh, I got to go back and listen to it. And then you forget. If you subscribe, it's free and uh, you can go back to it anytime. That's how you can actually mine the archives. You can find past episodes. That's how you never miss an episode. And it's free to subscribe to this thing on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. So anyway, Kyle Eidelman, uh, we got Greg Atkinson, Todd Atkins, uh, Bob and Maria Goff are coming up on this podcast. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. And uh, thanks to all of you for making this such a great journey. Hey, we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.
1: Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth
2: to help you lead like never before.